Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone. I had an idea strike me when I was planning for our month's themes, and I don't know how I instinctively knew that this should be the summer of happiness. We're using Gretchen Rubin's book called The Happiness Project, and her guarantee is if you put together your own plan over the next three months, you will be happier at the end of the summer than you are at the start of the summer. Now, you might have some questions about this, as, as I did. I mean, when I was initially reading the, the, de- the dust jacket, I kind of felt like it was daring me in a way, you know? Like, just wake up tomorrow and be happy, gosh darn it. And, uh, and what I know is so often the things that we want to do or think we should do or, or even hope we can do uh, end up uh, not just working out quite that way. We become at, at the wrong end of the influences in the world that can drag us down. The other thing that I know about happiness, like so many things on the interior side of us, and this is backed up in the book, by the way, is that it's one of those set point kinds of things. And I'll, l- let me explain it a little bit. Psychologists have determined, believe it or not, that there are set points for for happiness, for our feelings of abundance, for a variety of the things going on on the inside of our world. And, and what they mean by a set point is we get a little uncomfortable if we have too little of it, and actually a little uncomfortable if we have too much of it. Now, you probably didn't know this, but each of us usually lives within a range of what we feel is appropriate to feel happy. And if we get much below that, we will instinctively do and some of the things that will tend to bring us more joy in our lives. And we don't even really have to think about it too much. It just kicks in. And then the side that you probably weren't aware of is that if we are feeling happier than what is usual for us, we may actually self-sabotage ourselves to drag it down a little bit. And I want to use just a, a couple of examples here. Haven't you known people that are having a great week and they will say something like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to fall, though. I just know that this is just a streak of good luck and after I've had my week of good luck or after I've had my sweet week... There's going to be, you know, I'm going to have to pay for it later. Well, that, believe it or not, is this mechanism I'm talking about. You can kind of think of it as the thermostat. And when we've set the thermostat up a little higher than what we're used to, right, what happens is we will actually do some self-sabotage to bring it down again. So, of course, your question is, well, Larry, then how can this happiness plan work? Well, we actually have to adjust the thermostat itself to be a little higher. And what psychologists say is we need to embark upon raising our happiness or, or our abundance quotient or, or other internal factors. We raise them up to the limit that we're still comfortable with. And if we can maintain it up there for a few months, the whole thing will drift upward a little bit. And you will have a new set of set points, and you will simply be on 
average more happier than you were before. And they claim that by, by doing this, generally we can up things by about 10% in three months. So if you want to be happier, 10% happier, and I, and I don't know, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get our uh, calculators out at the, at the end of the summer and figure this out. But I believe it. And she's written a whole lovely book. She did a process that lasted an entire year. Her happiness project lasted a year. But there's no reason that we can't make quite a dent in just three months. And so for this month, I'm going to set us all up with a happiness project of of our own. We'll individualize it, those of us that want to play along. In fact, next week we'll be handing out some materials allowing you to go home and come up with your personal plan. And the book is full of, uh, of course, ideas and and represents her plan. Let me start, however, by reading just the, the promise of the book, if you will. A happiness project is an approach to changing your life. First, the preparation stage. Here is where you identify what brings you joy, what brings you satisfaction and engagement. Also useful to identify things that bring you guilt, anger, and boredom. Second is the making of resolutions when you identify the concrete actions that will boost your happiness. Then comes the interesting part, of course, keeping your resolutions. This book is the story of my happiness project, what I tried, what I learned. Your project, of course, will look different than mine, but it's the rare person that will not boost their happiness using this program. So that's the the promise, and I know a couple of you, when I use the word resolution, had a little bell go off, right? How many of us have tried New Year's resolutions? Like, I'm going to lose 25 pounds, or I'm going to start going to the gym once a week, or, you know, whatever it might be. Well, the trouble with those resolutions typically is they're things we think we ought to do, but they're not things that we enjoy doing. And so the, the dislike factor typically is what drags us down. We're talking here, though, about making resolutions to do things that we already love. Now, you might say, well, why do I need to make a resolution to do that? My gosh, if they're things I love, why, why aren't I doing them anyway? And I guess that would be my question. If they're things you love, why aren't you doing them anyway, Right. When was the last time you really treated yourself to an evening out? When was the last time you had a date night with the person you care about the most? When was the last time that you absolutely did something for yourself that's fabulous? See, my, my thought is that what typically happens is it's on our lists of things we will get to. Do you have a list of things that you will get to? I hesitate to put the word eventually in there, but but it's kind of implied, isn't it? It's the list of things that one day, eventually, when I'm not busy doing something else, then I will do those things. Well, there's a problem with this. If we keep putting off of our good, if we keep focusing on the things that need to be done and may even be unpleasant in the doing them, We're actually living in the bottom end of our happiness set point. And that invites us to actually lower things over time. And so it actually makes sense that we would want to have a plan for scheduling in the good parts of life to go with the parts that are not so joyous. Make sense? 
All right, so where we're gonna start is talking about what makes us happy. And of course, I have a joke that will uh, illustrate this. Uh, beware, it uses national stereotypes, so you'll just have to get over it. So an American said, true happiness, my friend, he's with a group of his three friends, true happiness, my friends, is rising early on a frosty autumn morning and getting in your boat to go fishing. We'll have an exhilarating passage over the bar into the ocean and a day of just talking with best buddies as fish are caught. Then we'll enjoy the freshest fish ever for dinner and sit in front of a roaring fire with family and friends. Ah, that is true American happiness. The Frenchman said, that's not happiness. That's merely enjoying your senses. True happiness is when you find the honest love of your life and you have some intimate time with them. Maybe you retire to the bedroom early where you can make impassioned love all night long. That, that is true happiness. The Russian said, well, wait a minute, comrade. That's not true happiness. That's merely using your sensual pleasures. True happiness comes when you're sitting in your apartment after a hard day at the factory. Your little Ivan is sitting on your knee and you're, knee and you're reading a copy of Pravda. Then, suddenly, without warning, there comes a knock at the door. Three men in ill-fitting SS suits come storming in and say, Stephen Savanovich, and you say, no, he lives upstairs. <laughs> That, that is true happiness. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, again, pardon me for totally inappropriate national stereotypes, but, but my point is each one of us is going to have a happiness project that is different from each other one of us because we find happiness in different places. Now I'm going to start right off with your homework. Your homework this week is to identify the areas in your life where you find happiness. And truly, although some of them may be common to most of us, a lot of them will be as individual as you are. So let me start by three of the really common ones that she talks about in the book. First of all, most people find happiness uh, along with their friends and family. Most people, not everyone, but most people find out that they are happier when they're hanging out and having quality time with friends and family. So that's one that can go on most of our list in terms of a, of a subject matter is quality time with friends and family. Another one that is really common has to do with outdoor recreation. Again, most people have some form of outdoor rec uh, 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 recreation that they enjoy. It might be walking in nature, it might be hiking, it might be kayaking, it might be um, running, it might be uh, tennis. You know, there's a whole variety of outdoor kinds of things. The idea is it allows you to commune with nature a little bit, it allows you to be outside, and believe it or not, our bodies actually enjoy the exercise. Now, I want to stop here for a minute because you'll notice I wouldn't be making some kind of a resolution, I'm going to the gym three days a week. That would be like one of those New Year's resolutions and I might think it would be good for me. And for some people, actually, they enjoy going to the gym, right? So it would be good for them. But me personally, yuck. So for me, I would phrase something like that as, 
enjoying being out in nature. That would be more my goal, is to be outdoors in nature more often. And then when I develop my actual uh, measurable uh, plan, it would be those activities that I know that I enjoy out in nature. So it would include hiking and you know doing other stuff. It wouldn't include things I don't like doing. That would be putting it back in the nature of one of those crazy New Year's resolutions. So that's a that's a, a so, so number one activities with friends and family. Number two, most people nationally enjoy themselves being out of doors and and in some some manner. A third one, interestingly enough, that most people find in common as a place of enjoyment is helping others. And so you might want to have a, a plan for uh, putting together volunteerism, uh, getting to know your neighbors better. Maybe there's some elder. Uh, well, and thank you, Van. You're, you never stop being Vanna, do you? In fact, we have these yellow sheets here uh, for for volunteering here in the sanctuary. But uh, but whatever it is, a lot of people, most people we'll get pleasure, we'll get happiness and enjoyment out of helping others. So those are just three of the ways that almost everyone has in common. From there on, she in the book, she lists dozens of others, but those are more specific to the person. For instance, some people love hobbies and have a hobby. Other people have no use for hobbies, right? Uh, uh, some people really enjoy certain kinds of team sports. Other people, no. You know, you wouldn't catch me dead on a lacrosse court, right? It just depends on you. But what I do know about us is we know happiness when it's coming our way, generally. And so with only a little bit of introspection, I bet you can come up with the scenarios, the places, the, uh, the surroundings that typically bring you happiness. It's interesting in the book, she talks about scientists have actually learned how to measure happiness. And it's like a seven-point scale with certain attributes. And I had to look up what even some of the words were. One of them is like positive affect. One of them is subjective well-being. One of them is hedonistic tone and so on. And you know what? At the, I know, I know. At the end of that whole chapter, I went, oh my gosh, do I have to be a scientist to know whether I'm happy? And then I noticed at the end of the first ch chapter, she said, but you don't need to be a scientist to know when you're happy. You know what makes you happy. So first step is to actually write down the things that make you happy. And so for my summer list, um, I'll, I'll get a little ahead of ourselves here to give you an idea of how it's gonna work starting next week. For my summer list, I did put down friends and family and some of, uh, at least a couple of my specific resolutions. One is to uh, reinstitute date night. Now some of you might say, well Larry, you've been with your partner for nine years and you know, it's clear that you love each other. What do you need a date night for? Think about this for a minute. We've been together nine years. We're just used to each other, right? We have a regular routine that's kind of like making dinner and eating and watching TV. Does this sound all that romantic, <laughs> right? Date night is about arranging to have quality, personalized, beautiful time with someone who means the most to you. Now, doesn't that sound nice? 
So that's one of my resolutions, if you if you will, is to reinstitute date night in, in my primary relationship. That might be something that you might want to take on. Another thing that I did, because I also enjoy being out of doors, and I'm also one of those people who's allergic to exercise, so I, I had to be uh, kind of cagey here, right? So, so my resolution is to spend at least four hours a week outside enjoying myself. Now that's the overall resolution. And I'm coming up with lots of different ways to do it. I went kayaking a couple weeks ago. Totally awesome, totally fun. Uh, although this arm still hasn't quite recovered, but, but I'm ready to do it again, right? Um, last week, I spent about three hours on a super long hike with the dogs, had a blast. Do you see what I mean? I'm actually making a plan for doing some of the things that I know I will enjoy. In a way, I'm putting them first instead of putting them last. I'm not waiting to see if I have spare time and then Daniel and I can go out, right? I'm saying, no, what, what night next week are we going to enjoy our company? I'm not waiting for the perfect day when the waves are just so and then we'll, you know, rent a cut. No, it's like next Tuesday we're going kayaking. And if it's raining that day, people kayak in the rain. I bet I'll still have a good time, right? So the idea is we'll make a commitment to ourselves throughout the summer to enjoy ourselves. What could be sweeter than that? And what happens is we maintain those levels of enjoyment over an extended period of time. It actually moves the entire scale up so that after three months, on average, you are simply happier. So next week, I'm actually going to bring in for you all um, the um, kind of like a little spreadsheet thing to get you organized for developing your own happiness projects to last through the summer. Now, obviously, if you don't want to participate, that's fine. We'll still have a totally fun Sunday next week, even if you don't want to participate. But it's my thought that if we actually put a little energy into this, we are going to have a most amazing summer. Now, what might stand in the way of this? Because there are a few things that might stand in the way of this and kind of foil our efforts a little. One is that set point thing. You need to be aware of self-sabotage. So if you hear yourself saying, gosh, I had such a beautiful day today. I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. When, when that little voice comes in, you need to be able to immediately respond with probably another day that's just as good, right? We don't start looking for negativity to bring our happiness down. And believe it or not, un often in an unconscious way, we will do that. We'll have two or three really blissed out days. Uh, I, I know a, a bunch of, of us just got back, well, not me, but a bunch of you all just got back from the women's retreat, right? And that was a, exactly. And that was a pretty significant high. And one of the things that the, that the leaders of the retreat warned you all coming back into the world, you don't want to undo all of that, right? 
So that was one of the things I know for the women that was like right on the top of the list. We need to make sure that our level of happiness, we're not going to let the world dampen it, which brings me to something probably more important than anything we've talked about so far, and that is that happiness is an inside job. So you do not have to be unhappy because of what's happening in Washington, because of things that have happened to your neighbors or your loved ones. You do not have to be unhappy because the people around you are unhappy. You do not have to be unhappy because you're in a job you don't like. All of that is completely optional. Now, it may be what you're used to, but it's completely optional. And so our best efforts this month towards upping our happiness quotient, if you think about it, we can easily sabotage that. We can easily think of a hundred reasons why we shouldn't be happy, but why? Do you think that your unhappiness ever serves the planet ever? See, now this is an interesting thing. I think that for some of us, maybe we have the idea that I shouldn't be particularly happier than the people around me. There are people suffering. There are people that, because of the political scene right now, are feeling like they're being marginalized. There are, there are people who don't have food to enough to eat. There are people in uh, disastrous living situations. So you might say, well, so who am I to just have a great time? When we are enjoying ourselves, it elevates the whole world. It's the invitation for other people to rise up, right? We're not really doing anyone a favor if somehow we think that I shouldn't be any happier than the people around me. We all deserve happiness. We all can have happiness. And we can learn how to enjoy it even more. Make sense? All right, so, uh, so a couple things I want to talk about. Uh, next week, we are going to actually have the opportunity for, um, for building our happiness plan. And so in order to do that, I really want you to come back next Sunday with about half a dozen, you know, six to nine areas in your life that you know when you participate in that, you're generally happy. Now, it doesn't have to be all the time. I mean, I can think of family reunions that didn't go so well too, right? But by and large, things that make you happy. Uh, so next week, I want you to come, you know, six, eight, maybe nine of them, and then we'll, we'll have a little grid we can put them in, and we'll talk uh, more about the idea then of making uh, specific intentions around them. Because the intentions themselves need to be measurable. Part of this is we need to make sure we're standing up to our part of the agreement. If we say we're going to enjoy date night once a week, well, are we making the time for it? If we say that we're really going to enjoy spending time with our grandkids, well, did I? You know, am, am I living this? Uh, you, you know, maybe time ta taking your dogs out for walks or enjoying a hobby or going to, um, you know, uh, some kind of a baseball game. You know, whatever it is that brings you pleasure, we need to make sure we can get it plotted in. And it's, it's something we can track as well. So we're not going to have intentions like, my intention is to get outside and enjoy the day when I can. That, no. 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 Something you can actually measure. I'm going to make sure I get outside and enjoy nature 
five hours this week, something like that. And we'll talk more about that next time. All right, one caveat, well, really two caveats. First of all, uh, the opposite of happiness is not depression. So if you actually are suffering from clinical depression, this is not the antidote to that. Um, you probably still need professional help. Um, you know, a practitioner can help do referrals for those kinds of things. This is not a, an antidote to chemical imbalances in the brain, or I, I don't know. I, I'm not an expert to know what actually causes clinical depression. But if you simply have periods of the blues, as I call them, this absolutely can help you in that area because you will be scheduling yourself into activities where you are more likely to be happy. And that, in most cases, will do the trick. So clinical depression, not so much. Uh, if you need a referral for that, if you need help with that, uh, of course, see one of us and we'll, we'll do our best to hook you up with someone um, that can help you with that. But the random garden, ordinary, I've had the blues this week kind of thing, this is specifically designed to help you with that. So we're going to have fun, I think, with that. And the other piece of it that I just want to... Uh, close with as a reminder is that happiness always, always, always is an inside job. And so we can find happiness without having to go somewhere or do something special. In fact, the better plans will have things that you can do every day right in your own home, right? So I know one on my happiness list is listening to music. Somehow or other, I just got out of the habit of listening to music. Uh, does that seem weird? Because I love music. Uh, you know, why would that have happened? In fact, another example, a couple Sundays ago, um, you know, I, I, I'm near the door as people file out, and this woman, as, as she went by, she said, oh, I'm so glad I was here today. She said, I don't know why I was going to stay home, and I always know that when I come to church, I feel better coming home than I did getting there. And, and of course, I'm reading ahead in my book, and I'm going, that's the classical self-sabotage thing, right? I know something will make me happy, so I'm not going to do it today, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm going to stay, I'm going to sleep in today and blow off church, even though I know I will be, right? That's that set point thing at work. When there are activities you know will make you happy and you choose not to do them, that is you self-defeating yourself. So all of this is an inside job, and we're going to learn the tips and techniques, some, in some cases for tricking ourselves into accepting more happiness, but definitely, definitely a plan for enjoying our summer. Sound like, sound like a good idea? All right, so we're going to have some fun. I'm going to close today with uh, a short reading. This is how she closes uh, this first chapter out. She says, most important... I don't want to reject my life as it is. I want to change my life in a way without changing the externals by finding more happiness in my own kitchen, in my own home, in my own world. I knew I wouldn't discover happiness in some faraway place or in unusual circumstances. It needs to be right here and right now, as in the haunting play The Bluebird, where two children spend, the, spend a year searching the entire world for the bluebird of happiness, 
only to find the bird waiting for them when they finally return home. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life and one goodness. There is the one source of everything, and that includes happiness. I call it God, but it goes by so many names, the divine feminine, Allah, the way, uh, Buddha nature. Despite, uh, despite any uh, uh, variations in the name, it is simply all there is, including happiness. And so on this day, I, uh, I claim my share of that joy. I claim my ability to produce that happiness effect, that happiness project in my own life. So that this time in three months, I claim for myself, I will be at least 10% happier, happier, maybe 20% happier. And, uh, and I just embrace that thought. I know it's possible for me. And I claim and know and affirm that it's possible for each person in this room. Even those of us who are already relatively happy, we can boost that. We can increase our level of enjoying life in this next three-month period. I know we're capable of it, and, uh, and I bless it. I look forward to it. And so in great gratitude, I just acknowledge this time of prayer. I acknowledge uh, this wonderful book called The Happiness Project, and I acknowledge that happiness also is right here with these people in this room at this time. I give great thanks. I let it be, and so it is. Thanks so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.